Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Sandy. Sandy's going to tell us where she was born, She's going to describe what it was like where she grew up and the school she went to. So you're in the classroom. <laughs> I love the classroom. I love learning, Tim. Excellent. Every day, every day is a school day. Yeah, every day. It's a new opportunity for growth. Yes. So where were you born? You know what's really funny? I'm so glad you asked that because... You've forgotten. Uh, no, I did. <laughs> I thought I was born where I grew up in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, in the United States. But I, they were like, no, you got that question wrong on a security <laughs> thing. So I found out I was born just across the bridge in Easton, Pennsylvania. Oh. So it was, you know, it's right there, right on the border. So it was only a couple minutes away, but I was actually born in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I just found that out like this year. I've been thinking because my parents have passed that I, you know, I was born in Phillipsburg. So who knew? Not in Transylvania then. No, not in Transylvania. <laughs> Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. So a little while ago. So what it was like where you grew up? What mm. was it like? Do you have a cup of tea? <laughs> I do, as it happens. It was an amazing journey. One I'm kind of convinced I don't want to take again, but it led to a great life. So at the age of nine, my family moved to the projects, which was, eh, I had some good friends, but not the best situation. And it was mostly because my dad had, he was, he had a great job. You know, he was a machinist. So we had a great blue collar job. He was a machinist, machinist for Ingersoll Rand, making mostly military parts. But dear old mom had a lot of mental health issues. So she spent, oh, Tim, about 50% of her life in mental institutions and not the well-funded one. So as a child, the old poor house, was it? Yeah, it, it was like, you know, it was exactly what you would think about these insane asylums. Like they overdrugged <laughs> the people because they didn't know what to do with them. And also it was years and years ago. You know, we're talking mm. about, you know, the early 60s. So they've come a long way with treatments. I mean, I'm sure they still do shock treatments, but back then, I mean, they didn't know what to do with the people. So they were over-medicated and too many shock treatments. So as a child, that left for a challenging situation. But for some reason, Tim, I was very, very blessed in that I had this innate feeling that something bigger than me was watching over me and that I had five angels guiding me. I thought that since I was a kid, like whenever people would be concerned for me, I would say, 
don't you worry about me. I, I'm good. I got these five angels. That's not a lot of angels, but they're five and they laugh a lot and they got my back. So I'm going to be good. <laughs> and it really did guide me a lot. Like knowing that something out there bigger than me, you know, was guiding me to where I'm supposed to go. And that I wasn't, I never felt like I was alone. Like I always mm. felt that I had this unconditional love for me. Why I thought that as a kid, I don't know, but I just really felt that. And then, can I can I just ask a, a yeah. little question there? Yeah. You said about your dad worked for Ingersoll Rand. Yeah, was that making padlocks by chance? Was he in a padlock place? No, they make it some was, fantastic making, padlocks. Yeah, no, Ingersoll. He was making uh, pipes, a lot of pipes. That's all, all right. I remember. Yeah, what else? Pipes or um... no, like for the military. Like I don't know. He said he was making parts for the military, and they were pipes, like big pipes. Ooh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because like they Ingersoll Rand. I mean, the army buy uh, their padlocks yeah. because they they're big, heavy padlocks that are very difficult to crack. <laughs> I bet you they made them there. He it just wasn't his division because Ingersoll yeah. Rand was booming back then. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, moving on then. Let's, moving um, on. Yeah. So, so the age of nine, you're growing up in Pennsylvania, and no, in got... New Jersey. I'm growing up in Phillipsburg, New oh. Jersey. Yeah. Don't go to New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey. Don't go to New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I do still have. <laughs> I don't know. I think I have more of a Philadelphia accent now because now I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. That's where I live now. But yeah. in childhood. Now, the town itself was a nice town. I mean, it was a nice town. It just so happened smack in the middle of the town was these two lower income projects, which I think it was a little bit more difficult because if you're surrounded by people that all don't have money, you don't feel any different. Right. You think that's yeah. it. But everyone else seemed to have a lot more. We were like smack <laughs> in the middle of it. But. That being said, since the time I was four and my uncle helped out a lot, I took dance lessons. So dance kind of saved me. Every day I would dance. And it was a great way for me to have an outlet, be creative, put on some music, and also escape. And I always said to people, ever since I was a kid, I had no idea, Tim, I was going to make a living out of it. But I used movement, laughter, and words every single day, just for a few minutes to get myself into a positive headset and then to imagine where I wanted to go. So I would dance just for a few minutes even and put some music on. I would always focus on one word. I loved words. And I would pick a word and I would say, okay, today I'm going to show up with fun, joy, peace, love, power. It didn't matter. And that one word, I would envision what I had to do to feel that, no matter what craziness was going on. And I also journaled, as, even as little as I can, scribble, scrabble, even just stick figures. And I would always make light of everything, like no matter how bad things were, I would make light of it. Like I would turn it around, even when visiting mom in the institution, I would think of a way that to bring joy, to make it just a lighter setting. No matter what. So, so what sort of dance was it? Was it like classical um, ballet, or was it 
was it ballroom dancing or was it modern type dancing or was it just sort of shaking about to the to the beat? <laughs> well, what I was just trying to let loose, it was probably just shaking about to the beat. But what I was really good at is tap dance. I tapped a lot and I did jazz and hip hop and I did do some modern. I really was terrible at ballet, but I did it. And I did Hawaiian. I mean, I did everything. Like, and I, but I liked more the fast moving stuff, especially yeah. tap dance and jazz. Yeah, that were my favorite. What about Latin and ballroom? You know, I only tried that as I got older and mostly just like in the fitness classes. Like, you know how they had Zumba was really popular and they had all the Latin dancing. I don't think I was good or I don't say, I'm not saying maybe I would good, but I never was interested in having a partner to dance with. Like I just wanted to do it myself. <laughs> I don't know. I probably wanted to lead too much. Who knows? Well, some ladies do have that problem, don't they? They want to lead know. all the time. I, don't be led. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> even, I don't know, but it just wasn't an interest of mine back there. You know, I was mm. so interested in the other stuff. But that being said, I could see me doing that now, like taking it up now, you know, never too yeah. late, never too late. Yeah. You do know what they say, don't you? That um, you can lead a horse to water, but a pencil has to be led. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I have not heard that, Tim, but I. <laughs> that is one I could tell in my school systems for sure. <laughs> the kids would like so, that one. Looking at your schools then, what was your, your elementary school like? You know, I, unfortunately, because of so many tough things, I, I blocked out a lot. Like, there's a lot I can't remember. I do think up until the time I was, like, nine, that I lived in Alpha, New Jersey, I think the school I went to and the kids, like I had some nice friends, like the school system was, you know, good, you know, and I had some nice friends. Even when I moved, the school systems were good. It wasn't, you know what I mean? I had a, you know, I went to a great school system, but as far as like, if we're going back to elementary school, besides getting stitches in my knee for riding double on a bike, I don't really, don't remember that. That's all I remember. I this girl convinced me to ride her on my bike, and I kept saying no, no, no. And then she, we fell. She fell on me, and I got you know sixteen stitches in my knee. That's my memory. I don't remember that much more, except for dancing. Like I remember performing as yeah. a little kid in my. But as far as the school, I don't have that. Like I know some people go. I remember my kindergarten, your first grade teacher. Mm. I'm lucky I remember that's where I went to school. That's it. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's not like it wasn't a good school system. Mm. So what about moving on then from elementary up to uh, to, to your junior high or middle school? Yeah. It, it's the same thing. Like I remember having some close friends. That was good. But I don't have that many memories of that. You know, I just remember one or two friends that I would hang out with. And I don't have that much more until high school. I remember more about high school. Okay, okay. Then let's, let, let's, let's 
let's look at high school. Did you did you take theatre classes and dance? Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Was so that, was that, that kind of what you're majoring in? Yeah. So even like the thing I do now, you're making me think about this. In middle school, I was always involved in the theater shows and 4-H. So I got involved in every single club you could imagine, and I performed. Oh, you made me just think of something. In middle school, I was a cheerleader. Look, you just made me remember something. Woohoo! There you go. You must have had the football team then. Yeah, so I remember being a cheerleader all through middle school and being really good at that. And then I remember in high school, I switched over to not the cheerleading, but to the theater department. But it was still dance, mm. you know, just in a different way and performing in all the theater shows. And then I so also... So on, yeah. on the cheerleader team then... Yeah. Were you the one that they throw up in the air? I was the one doing uh cartwheels. Back, yeah, the backflips and, and the cartwheels. Not the, the ones they threw up, but I was the one doing all the little tricks. Yeah. Anything to stand out to him. I was like, yay. <laughs> and you had the big pom-poms as well, I guess. Yeah. 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 See, now I remember that. I loved being a cheerleader. Yeah. But it was the same thing. It was a way to express myself with the dance. And then I also was in 4-H. I started in middle school and kept with it and Girl Scouts. I did Girl Scouts and I did everything from sewing my own clothes to taking care of animals. And that was fun. So that was middle school outside of middle school, but good. So what about Girl Scouts then? Oh, I love Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts. And I went all the way up to cadets. And my favorite thing was going away to the two to three week camps overnight. That was fun. Whoa. So sleeping in tents and all the rest of it. Now, Love over it. here in in England, um, the guides, we call them guides, not mm -hmm. um, when they set up camp, they don't allow boys into their field at all. Do they have boys in your field when you go they, camping? No. The girls, well, they would have the camps near each other. So here would be the Girl Scouts. And there would be the Boy Scouts. But inevitably, girls would sneak into the boys' camp and the boys would sneak into the girls' camp because they were at the same time, but separate camps. Yes. And, then, and, and adjacent fields, no doubt. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. And they'd always get in trouble. But, you know, innocent, fun yeah. little thing. <laughs> Nothing major. No, no, little, no little scouts and, scouts and guides. No, no, no. Just silly not things. Not producing the next generation then. Yeah. <laughs> not that, not quite that bad. No, stealing <laughs> their snacks and chocolates and stuff like that. Like, mm. you know, or putting Fair it on. in their room so the bear would go in their cabin. <laughs> that may not have been good. Maybe that was bad. That might have been bad. <laughs> yeah, that probably was not a good thing. Now that I think no. of it. Yeah. You get a big grizzly bear come from your tent. Uh, yeah, that was not nice of us. Yeah, that was probably <laughs> not a good thing we did. Yeah. <laughs> that is getting into trouble. Yeah. So, moving on then. Um, your junior high school. What what can you remember of that? So you, you went yeah, into so the it went, the, way it, the way it went for us, Tim, it went from elementary, middle school, and then it went right to high school. So. All right. Yeah, so it, it, there was no, it was just elementary, yeah. middle, and high school. And 
in high school, I was really fortunate in that I had a group of kids that were very popular that went to my church, my Methodist church, Sunday school. And they were from all walks of life. And there was a lot of guys that were um, from the football team. Like, I think even he was one of the guys was the captain of the football team. And so in high school, if any kids would make fun of me for the way I was dressed or whatever, these guys had my back. And so that was really, <laughs> yeah, like you weren't going to mess with me. So that was really great. And I do remember somebody making fun of whatever clothes because, you know, maybe I wasn't well-dressed, whatever. And like him lifting them up against the locker room and going, don't ever mess with her. And I was like, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then no one ever messed with me. So that was good. Yay, is, church. Is that possibly <laughs> because you made your own clothes and you had your own designs that you worked to set and, sure, trying to set I'm a new trend? I'm sure it's because I was wearing some of the old clothes I wore, or I could have been wearing my brother's clothes, you know what I mean? Which at now would be no big deal, but maybe I was mm. wearing a, you know, more of a flannel shirt or something like that a guy would wear, <laughs> you know, just whatever, you know, who knows, you know, kids, mm. they can be a little different so they, at times. These, these guys in the football team, they, they was helping out the uh, the angels that are looking after you as well. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. But And then there was even girls. I mean, they were just really nice. Like you, I had my group from that separate community outside of school, and it was so nice to have them, you know? And it's great when you have people looking out for you like that, hmm. you know, that are popular, that are popular, especially yeah. when they're popular. Yeah, because no one's going to mess with them. That's it. So, so you were never asked to be picked for the team, then. <laughs> well, I was never asked to be picked for the team. You mean the football team? Well, no, no. I mean for any team. I mean, you were never one of the last to get picked. You was one of the first. Oh, to get picked. oh, the last. Oh, now I got no. <laughs> I would be last to get picked, except for dodgeball, because I was really protective and not wanting to get injured. My dance instructor didn't want me to do a lot of outside sports so I wouldn't get injured for my dance. So there's a lot of things I kind of steered away from unless it was a school requirement right, so that okay. I could stay strong for dance. Yeah. So the dancing in the, in the high school. Yeah. And the theater group. Did you put on plays or musicals or? Oh Yeah. Yeah, all types of musicals. Every, you know, all the standard ones like, you know, Beatlemania, like all the same ones that everyone around the world does. But I loved every minute of it. As corny as they were, to me back then, they were great. You know, they were So fun. what was the favorite one you did? What was your, your your favorite performance you put on? And what part did you play? I think I might have been Music Man. And, it, you know, I was in, there was a lot of dancing. So I, I got to dance and sing. So it was great. Mm. And I remember people who had never seen me dance, who just knew, you know, I was walking home across the railroad tracks. I remember going home to the projects and they're like, oh my God, we had no idea that you were that good. And I remember thinking, okay, this is a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> And that was really good for school too, because now I had my thing. You know, once they saw me, yeah. I had my thing. So that was that was kind of fun. 
So what was the worst thing you did? What was the worst play you was in? What one did you didn't like? Ooh. I can't think must, of that. There must have been one that you didn't really like. That you was forced well, to I do. think it was uh, no, I wasn't forced. I think it was a great play, but it wasn't my favorite, which was the Beatlemania one. And that's only because there wasn't a lot of dancing in it. <laughs> so it really was just because I didn't get to dance a lot. You know what I mean? Like otherwise, if you and I was in chorus, so I, I was in it, but yeah. Because I did sing, but I liked the dancing more. So it wasn't like it wasn't a good play. There just wasn't. Mm. It was mostly singing. So not my favorite. So did you manage to graduate high school? I did, thank God. Did you come out with honors? I did come out with honors. Yep. And got a scholarship to school, to college. Ooh. Yeah. What was your scholarship in? It, I was I, I was a dance major, so I got to it for scholastic. So I think I was like in a class of maybe five hundred and some. I was number I was twenty two, so I did pretty good. I studied, 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 studied. Um, and I and between the dance and my grades and also financial needs, I was able to get a full boat scholarship to Upper Montclair College, Montclair University mm. in Upper Montclair, New Jersey. And it was New like, 20, it was 20 minutes, Tim, outside of New York City. And I loved going there and watching all the Broadway shows and all that. I guess as a, a, a theater major, you get cheap tickets to go off to, to see the theater. In, you don't get, no, you don't, you don't get free tickets, you know? but. No, well, you get concessions, surely. As a student, you do. But mm. what we would do is I waitressed a lot of weekends to make money. And then what we would do is we go to the, it's called like the twofer line in New York. And you just stand in line and get really, really, really inexpensive tickets for whatever opened up that day. And I didn't care. Yeah. Who cared? We didn't care. We, we just yeah. wanted to see anything that was a musical. That was a musical. Yeah. That was fine. Yeah. So college then. So. You know, this is really fun. No one, I've done a lot of interviews. I've never been asked this chronologically according to what school you were in. So this is fun. It's something I have never, ever, ever done. I like doing well, this for the first time. really important stuff, to, 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 particularly your foundation, where you've come from to where you get to. Mm. And, and this is this is going to leave a legacy for, for generations to come. Yeah. I to see what we did in this, in this time frame in history. Yeah. We can't go back and look at ordinary people 100 years ago. But 100 years' time, people will be able to look back and, and, and look at these podcasts and and, oh, and i and never video. thought of it that's awesome and and, and think wow yeah. is that how things were done back then because yeah. they're going to be totally different yeah. when you look back at, at, at sort of 20 or 30 years ago what it was like mm. to what it is now look at the technology we've got nowadays yeah. we couldn't have done this five five years ago now look yeah yeah i love it 
I love oh. it. So let's have a, let's delve a little bit into your your college life and uh, mm. what you were actually what the course was like. What so, they put on, what I they really, were teaching at the time. Yeah, well, I really loved college, especially imagine for the first time, people don't know where I came from. They don't know my parents. No one's thinking, oh, there's the kid from the projects. You know, her mom is the, you know, loony one or anything else. I got a fresh start. So this was like, woo hoo. I'm just like every other kid, you know? And the first semester was a little difficult for me because I was so concerned growing up in the projects to be, they used to call me Miss Goody Two-Shoes because I didn't want to be like everyone else. So I was the extreme. I wouldn't do drugs. I didn't drink anything. I wouldn't swear. I didn't want them to say, oh, you know what I mean? Like she's from, so I studied, 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 and I really was the extreme opposite, just to prove people wrong. And then I got to, it's not like I was a big drinker, but the first semester was rough for me because I was like, oh, I'm going out. I can be like normal kids. I can go to parties, whatever. <laughs> so I, my grades weren't great. But then after that semester, I got together and figured out, okay, there's a balance. And uh, it was fun. You know, I, I met a lot of great kids and I got to do dance. But the thing that I found out is I really wanted to perform on Broadway. And my gift for dance was, yeah, like I told you, tap and jazz, but I wasn't great at high kicks and being able to do all these spins because I didn't have a turnout. My hips, I have hip dysplasia, it's called, where hips are tilted really far in. So I couldn't do a lot of the things where you kicked out to the side. And for Broadway at the time, you had to be able to do that. You had, it wasn't just like, okay, you're going for tap, you're going for jazz, you're going for hip hop. So I realized no matter how much I practiced it, how much hours and hours, I wasn't going to be as good as some of these kids. Like I just wasn't built like that. So after three years, I decided to take a year off, which was great. I was going to take what they called out a gap year. So <laughs> I took a year off. I worked and then I ended up back in Pennsylvania at Westchester PA, Westchester College, and their dance department was in their health and phys ed department. So that was great for me because I love the study of the human body. And at the time, there was a lot more working uh, being done on how the brain and body work and function together. So I got to take courses like that in addition to my dance because it was like a dance concentration mm -hmm. in the health and phys ed department. So I did lose my scholarship because I took a year off, but I did get some funding, some student loans, and I worked my way through and I was glad I did. And I graduated from college at Westchester instead. So a little bit of a journey. And did you come out of that with honors? I did not come out of that with that, although I did end up getting into uh, Temple to get my master's degree, which ooh, that was a story. But I did not come out <laughs> of, because I, I'm not going to make excuses, but I worked a lot. So, I mean, there were times I was working three jobs and going to school. 
So there were some mm -hmm. semesters I did really well in, and then some semesters I was just keeping above water. So I wouldn't say I came out that high, but I did get a lot out of it. So <clears throat> what was your first job when you left your, uh, college? My first job was awesome because it was starting from the internship at college at a fitness center that taught aerobic classes. So now we're in the eighties and back then they had these group fitness classes that didn't really have a lot of dance in it. It was very much sports oriented. And so I got to come in and teach them how to put more dance moves inside some of the aerobic classes. And they taught me how to do more sports moves inside the aerobic classes. So from that internship of teaching those classes, I ended up getting a job managing a fitness studio, a small fitness studio. So that was my first job, managing an all-woman's fitness studio. Fitness studio. So how long did that last? Probably. You, yeah, go ahead. And did you make it evolve from, from yes. just being... Yeah. So that only lasted a year because then somebody who had seen me said, hey, you would be really great at this corporate sales for this new huge health club that's opening up. You could teach classes and do corporate sales. And I think you would be really great at that because they saw me and how I ran and managed. Because you, when you manage a fitness center, you not only teach classes and hire people, but you're also doing constant sales. Mm -hmm. So then I made the switch over, and which was great, great experience. And I was in corporate sales for this massive, massive health club and tennis center. And while I did that, I also taught classes there and managed their pro shop. So that was my next job. Oh, the pro shop. What's that all about? Where, you know, you would buy tennis rackets, tennis balls, fitness clothes, sneakers. It's called the pro shop. And they were, they had oh, a lot right, of, gotcha. yeah. And they had so, a lot of, there so was this like David Lloyd. Who's David Lloyd? I don't even know David Lloyd. Oh, he's big over here in tennis. He has a big tennis center and sports. Oh. And it's a bit of a chain around the UK. And, okay. I guess so, he, he was some sort of tennis player at some stage in his life. Yeah. Um, this was a little different. This was not, I, I do know places like that over here. This was more just tennis pros teaching tennis classes. Nobody that I knew, you know, that was big time, but they also had a huge workout center, a huge fitness center, uh, a pool for aquatics yeah. for rehab. And Big, big, big aerobic studios to teach aerobic classes. It was it was like a hundred thousand square feet. It was massive. It was big. Oh, I mean, you stood at one end, and your classes down the other end, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you got you got about four hundred people in your class, and you no. can't keep an eye on them all, can you? No, I bet you there was what? an awful lot that cheated. <laughs> well, you know what? Back then, the classes were really big, but I think the most we could get in would be a hundred people in the classroom. Mm. Yeah. But that still was big compared to now. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. 
I mean, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't pick out individuals that were doing something wrong and and, uh, and correct them, could you? It, some of the classes were smaller, and you could, and you know, now and then you not all classes had hundred people. You know, there could be classes with twenty five, with fifteen. Mm. I mean, they. I mean, I'm just saying that's the max you could get in. So even if you had fifty people in a class, I was known not to just stay up front. You could bob and weave and just give little corrections, but you can't stop the class. It's not like a no. small training class. Yeah. So how long did you last at that? So I did that for a few years until then I was the manager of the aerobic center. And while I was doing that, magic happened, Tim. One of my members asked me to train them in their home. They liked my energy. They said, oh, you know, we can't always make it to the gym. Can you train me and a couple of my friends in our home? And the health club was in a very, um, they were very, very, very wealthy area. They called it the mainline area suburbs of Philadelphia. So the people could afford to bring trainers into their home. Now, back when I was doing it in the 80s, it really wasn't done. So it's not like now. Now there's tons of private trainers everywhere. Yeah. I kind of cornered the market because I didn't even think of it. This woman was like, hey, come train me in your my home. And from that, I got to train all the who's who in the Philadelphia area and built a company called Specialty Fit in which I had 15 different trainers that I, and nutritionists that I would send into people's homes and massage therapists, all from that one lady saying, hey, can you train me in my home? Yeah, because she was too lazy to go to the gym. No, let's not say she, <laughs> she wasn't too lazy. Now, keep in mind, like you, what you said, right? You have to know your strengths. In a classroom, you're a lot of people. What's happening if you're one-on-one? or just with a friend yeah. at home. Now we're talking about individual treatment and you're working more with uh, equipment versus just teaching them a dance mm. class you know, in a group setting. So, and, and they can afford it. So it, if you can afford it, you're absolutely going to get more out of somebody just spending time one-on-one -on -one with you and your yeah. body and making sure you're doing, you know, what's right for you versus a big classroom setting. So they did both. Hmm. Yeah. So they carried on at the, the, the center and, and sort of slowly expanded out to people's homes and all the rest of it. Yeah. I, I taught there for a while. I was actually, actually at that big health club doing a little bit of everything for, I think, 10 years and, and, and doing the in-home training business until – one of my clients said the next level up is, hey, have you ever thought of opening a health club? And I was like, no. And, you know, we'll help you. You know, they, they took me under their wing to guide me. They were great, great business people. And so that was the next evolution of going from there to having my in-home training business to a three-year process of opening my first health club. Ah. Yeah. So what, what was the difference between your health club and the, the, the big center? Well, the difference was here they are, 100,000 square feet with racquetball, I forgot to mention, and tennis 
and, you know, it servicing all thousands and thousands of people. And I ended up opening a studio that was 15,000 square feet with, you know, three different small studios and mostly uh, highlighting one-on-one trainers. So it was just a different vibe. And back Mm -hmm. then there weren't that many centers like that. So we had really great one-on-one training. You could come in and just work out at the gym. It's not like you just could come in and work out on your own, but a lot of people hired our private trainers in addition to having really amazing fitness classes. Mm. That's the difference. And it was, was it just for women or? No, men and women. Men and women. So you got all the gym queens down there with all the muscles and all the rest of it. <laughs> men and women. It was all men. It was pretty mixed. It was pretty equal. I'd say it was 50-50 men to women. Mm. And And, did you always see the same clientele coming through or did you get new people through or, or, or I mean, how long did somebody come in for a course or, you know, we're very fortunate people. We didn't have that much attrition, but just like every health and fitness center, there are people that join and end up, you know, quitting and don't staying with it. So you're always thinking every single month, how many new members can you get? How many? Because you're you're going to have attrition. You're going to have people yeah. drop drop off. I mean, it's just the nature of the business. But well, I'm going to make a little a guess here. I'm, I'm guessing that that January and February were your busiest months of the year. Yeah, they were absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Just come, like come March, just else. scratching red, thinking how do we get them back in. I mean, absolutely. New Year's resolutions are huge. You bring in a huge, huge, huge crowd. But like I said, we were very fortunate at our gyms that we did see a lot of the same people. They stayed with us for years and years and years, which was really nice to have those familiar faces Mm. besides new people. Yeah. And I suppose you get another little influx around about sort of maybe about May time, isn't it? May, June time where... Where people are getting ready for the summer. <laughs> We've got a well, lot of beach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you maybe April because they know they need a little time, but it was pretty steady. You know, you yeah. do drop down in the months of June, July, and August just because people can do more things outside here. So yeah. when the summer months, I'm not saying they're not working out. They just need, you know, they're vacationing more and they're more outside. So you will yeah. see a drop June, July, and August. And then everyone's back in September. Yeah. When everybody's back at school. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and sort of November and early December, they're going absolutely mad, sort of dieting and, and <laughs> working yeah. out so they yeah. can have a half decent Christmas. Yes. January, February again. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So you can predict your year almost. Yeah, you, you do. You do project a year when you're going to have your highs and lows. But now then you get shocked. You know, for example, the one gym I owned in Center City, that was my second gym. It was right in the corporate center. So we had really members coming from a three block radius. Most of the people came either before work, at lunch or after work. Very mm-hmm. few residents in that. We did have a few, maybe 10%. So... If a corporation moved in, 
then you would get a big influx that month, right? We had nothing to do yeah. with it because they would sign up for a corporate membership. You'd give them a deal. So you would have that as well as if a company moved out, then you'd have it like, Phew. yeah. Yeah. That so was a little different I guess, than I was. Yeah. So I guess that dictates your day as well. So, so you'll have to, if, if you've got a corporate it's coming in before work, they, they, yep. you're having to open up at half past five, six o'clock in the morning. Yes. And then you're finishing about sort of seven o'clock in the evening when it's all scarped. Well, you know you, what? You keep we, going till 10 at night. Yeah, we, we did stay, not to 10, but we did stay to nine o'clock because there were some residents that did come in. So we did stay open, not to 10 to nine. And we had really short hours of weekends because there weren't that many people coming in, but we were. But besides the early morning crowd, we had a huge lunch crowd, huge because people were trying to get it in so that they, not that we didn't do well at five thirty or six after work, but there were a lot of people that had kids and families and they wanted to get home to it. So they loved the fact that they could work out at lunch. So we had a lot of 30 minute classes. Excellent. So how many gyms did you end up with? I ended up with, and sold them three gyms. And then as well as the three gyms, we started a company where we managed and or ran corporate wellness centers. So what was happening, the trend changed him. A lot of these companies thought it was more financially feasible for them and that maybe their uh, employees would go more if the gyms were inside their companies. So we started another company which we would go into different places and run the gym for that company because we knew they weren't going to join ours. So we might as well compete with ourselves. So that was fun too. Ah. Yeah. So that opened up a new avenue. Yeah. It, it, yep. Yep. Cause now you, but, instead of just going after the people in the three block area for our gym, you could go out to the tri-state area and try to get the gigs for their fitness or wellness centers. So that was fun. That was really fun. Hmm. So I, I guess then you were recruiting trainers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly recruiting trainers and training them and looking for good, high-quality trainers. Absolutely. And how did you assess them? So say I, I was a, wanted to be a fitness coach and uh, – but I didn't know where to go. I'll come to you and said, I want to be a fitness coach at one of these corporate what's names. Mm -hmm. uh, can you get us a, in through the door? Well, how, how'd you go back? You know, for us, we were very fortunate. It would be very rare that people didn't already have a degree in the health and fitness field. And then they had to have a certification in one of the companies that we really uh, thought were qualified as far as a training certification. And then if they had that, we would watch them work with people. Cause really it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, you have to see how they interact with someone and their people skills. So we would watch them and see, you know, how they do with clients. I would say it was very rare, but now and then we would, we would take someone that didn't already have a degree but they had their certification because we just had so many great kids coming in with degrees. But now and then mm -hmm. there'd be somebody who like was really 
unbelievable, had great people skills, knew what they were doing. And so as long as they had their certification, they were good. But to run some of the corporate centers, many of them, the, one of the requirements is they did have a degree, have to have a degree in the health and business field because of it for insurance purposes and liability. Yeah. yeah. So how many uh, retired military did you take on? How many veterans did you that were PTIs or physical training instructors in the, in the military? Did you ever take any of those on? Did they, did they come out into the industry or? Um, I don't know if they, I don't remember seeing anybody come through our doors that were retired military. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't because as the company grew, I wasn't meeting every one of them. And so my business mm. partner could have. But as far as I know personally, I don't remember seeing that. Not that they didn't. Oh, I fibbed. Wait a minute. <laughs> I remember we called him Sergeant Nate. That's right. Sergeant Nate, who was with me for years, was in the military. But I don't remember mm. which branch. I'm, I'm, I think the Army. Yeah. Ooh, I remembered. And he, he was a trainer and he taught classes and extremely popular. People loved Sergeant Nate. Mm. It's probably because I got him to do drill. <laughs> got he him was, to do the kinetics and all the rest of it for warm-ups. And... <laughs> well, he was just really personable and fun and he, motivating. You know, he could get you to do things that you didn't think you could do. So that he, And he loved people, so that was great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's us military types, you see. Yeah, <laughs> all the military types. All very personable and love people. Absolutely. That's if we're not killing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, there you go. I remember Sergeant Nate. Now he's doing his own thing. Happy days. So where are you today then? Where does it bring you up to? So in 2019, not like I had a magic wand, but we sold the third gym, the last gym. And then I sold the other business to my partner, and what I did is I made my side gig my main gig. So I was always doing speaking gigs, keynote speaking gigs, and traveling around locally and around the world presenting on my books, Train Your Head and Your Body Will Follow. So I made that my main gig and wrote a couple other books on the same thing with journaling and mindset. And also... My podcasting, I had been doing, like I've been doing this for 10 years, my own podcast. So I continued doing that. So I just took what I was doing as my side hustle and made it my main hustle. So that's what I do. I teach workshops. Right. And I guess you got out of it at the right sort of time then. If you got out of it in 2019. I, I, that's what I was saying. How, I, I didn't How have did any... 2020 do? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure in a corporate setting that was not, I don't know how they fared. Yeah, that would not be good. So mm. I actually, it was my lease when they um, came to me wanting to buy it. The landlord who took over the building wanted to buy back the space from us. And it was three and a half years left on my 20 year lease. And I didn't really want to do it. But after a year of negotiating, I only had two and a half years at my lease. And I thought, wait a minute. 
this is a this is a decent offer and if i don't take it and i stay here for two and a half years he's not going to renew my lease anyhow because he wants the space for something else so i either wait two and a half years and get nothing or go now and thinking about it man oh man did he do me a favor right man <laughs> oh man like th there's no way not only did the gyms not do well but I was in an all corporate setting. So with nobody going to work, who the freak's coming in the gyms? Even yeah. now, more people are working from home. So it would be even tough now. Mm. So you, you, you're speaking then. Mm -hmm. What effect did that have on uh, in lockdowns? So in, what in happened, in, so what I decided to do, my podcasting was still fine. I was teaching online workshops and that was still fine. But I wasn't doing any keynote speaking. I wasn't traveling around. So I decided to uh, sign up for this course that my friend recommended for me called Heroic Public Speaking. And it was a seven-month course that started last August. And some of it was going to be online and some in person in Lambertville, New Jersey, which is just an hour from me. So I signed up for that course. Because I thought this is a great time to dive in, redo my keynotes, take it up a notch so that when I can get back out there, I'll be ready to go, ready to rock and roll even more. So I did that and I just graduated uh, last month, which is great. And now I'm making what they call your sizzle reel so that when things are opening up more, I, I've already done it six times locally, but my goal is to go again traveling around the world with it, which will be fine. Mm. Are you, are you doing that on cruise ships or no. are you getting invited into different countries to, to talk about? What, what, what do you talk about? Oh, that was, <laughs> I was waiting for that. So let's do the first one. The first one is I get invited either into colleges or corporation or if someone's having a big, you know, wellness conference or fitness conference or even a real estate conference where they want what my topic is. And my topic is all about train your head and your body will follow. And the big idea, the main thing that I'm talking about is life doesn't happen to you. You happen to life. So I go through and tell some personal stories about how I grew up and what I did to overcome them. And then I teach people little things they can do every day that only take a few minutes to get into that positive, powerful headset to serve them well, which is also what all my books and journals are about. So it, they all work together. The only difference with this keynote, there's more little stories in it so people can see more of me and understand why I truly believe this. Yeah. Uh -huh. Aha. Aha. So that's that's the road to go on. Now, do you use an agent to get you booked in or do, do, they, do you uh, sell yourself out there? Where where did you get the gigs from? Okay. So prior to this, the gigs I got were mostly through word of mouth because imagine you own health clubs and every walk of life is coming in there. So you get to meet the HR people and the planners for these conferences. So I was very fortunate and people would meet me. They like me. They take my classes. So I had all those connections. So recently when I reached out, 
I said I wanted to do six to eight gigs locally, I reached out to a lot of those connections to get those. Now, moving mm -hmm. forward, I have set up meetings to see whether or not I want to be a part of a speaker's bureau or get an agent or just hire someone to help book me. So that's my next step. And I'm reaching out right now, Tim, to different people to see which way I should go. But I probably won't hit it hard until uh, they call it your, like I said, uh, your sizzle reel. I'm going back July 20th for a few days in which they'll put together a four minute reel. That's really, really cool. So that people can see what you're like performing. And that's going to mm. be high end. And then you look way more professional and I can send that out to people and put it on my website. So that'll be cool. So let's have a quick look at your podcasting. So you've been podcasting for 10 years. I mean, I've, mm. I've only been at it for a couple. Yeah. So, uh, so you're, you must be a lot better at it than me. I don't think, so, you know, I, I think it's, so what's I, your podcast about? I don't think that's true, by the way. I think as long as you're great, at listening to people and you truly want to hear what they have to say, like you have to really like what people's journeys are and be interested. That's the number one thing of being a podcast host. I think you truly people that I like being in like, cause I just started, you know, flipping it. I was only hosting my own podcast, but recently, so I could see the other side of it. I've been a guest and the people that I really enjoy is like yourself. You could see they really want to hear what you have to say and they're listening to what you have to say. And that's mm. what makes a great host. Uh, I started podcasting years ago because I, at the time, wanted to get to know more people in the well-being field who were doing things that weren't uh, the ordinary, you know, that were doing something different. And I wanted to get to talk to them. So in order for me to reach them, I thought, oh, I'll start a podcast. And that way I can interview them. So that's what I did. I started it years and years ago. I think at the time, the name might have been What Keeps You Up at Night. But it was really just to get to know these people and their journeys and how they're solving anything in the world to make it a better place and making a positive, powerful difference. But mostly from the well-being setting. Mm. As the years went on, I changed the name to Let's Keep It Real. And it's really highlighting men and women from around the world, anybody that's making a positive, powerful distance. So I tell a little bit about their journey, how they came to where they are, and then we make sure we weave in three to five tips for the audience, like takeaways on that specific subject. And it is all over the place and so it, that's been really exciting uh -huh. you know how they say that in german no alice uber the platz all over the place oh oh i was, I was like <laughs> alice uber the platz all over the place all over the place <laughs> yeah. yeah so that it's been really fun i started over covid a couple of years ago a live show that's on Instagram that is just for women. And that's called, Hey, I got something to say. And I go on every Thursday, 3 PM Eastern standard time live for 30 minutes with a woman from around the world. That one thing she wants to get out and say, but I also record it and then put it on other platforms. So that's mm. been fun too. 
yeah, I like it. Well, I, I, I do a Thursday, Thursday live stream from seven until nine. Oh. Um, British summertime or Greenwich me time in the winter time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, and that's for two hours and we just have some fun. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we'll have a, we'll, we'll do a special. Um, I've done a mental health special, I've done yeah. crime yeah. special, bits yeah. and pieces like that. Yeah. Most of the time we have an open forum and we have people banging questions to to the panel and, and yeah. stuff like that. We get some people in and we just have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about having fun on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all about having fun every day. As much as you can have fun. Absolutely. Learn so you've got one life, live it to the full. Yeah. Live every day as though it's your last. One day it will be. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, too. <laughs> well, well, Sandy. Look at it. I've enjoyed this chat. I have, too. It was really nice. It was good. And it was like good to have some memories I haven't thought about. Like you said, like things will come up. You need to remember. Absolutely. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.